The seasons are changing. In just a few days, it will be fall or autumn. Autumn is the more formal name, and it's more British than American. But it doesn't feel like fall. The last couple days, it's been in the upper 90s. A chance of breaking the high today of 99. And it's supposed to be remaining that way for a little while. Well, I know my last podcast, I talked about football season. Well, there's another season that's come upon us as well. To many, mostly ladies, it's more important than football season. Are you ready for it? It's pumpkin spice season. You can get pumpkin spice anything. There's pumpkin spice Swiss Miss, the hot chocolate mix. You can get pumpkin spice Oreos, Special K, Cheerios and other cereals, uh, Kool-Aid, Werther's Caramels, uh, coffee creamer, all kinds of muffins and donuts and cookies. Uh, you can get pumpkin butter, Jello, Kit Kat, energy bars, of course, coffee and lattes and tea, ice cream, and even beer, hand soap and sanitizer, room deodorizers, and lip balm. You can get lotions and creams, pet shampoo, and pet treats. And one that I saw that I'm not sure if it was meant as a joke or not, but it just seemed kind of weird, pumpkin spice communion wafers. I'm not too sure about that one at all, okay? I don't know. I think that's kind of taking it to the next step. Now, I have nothing against pumpkin spice, okay? I I make pumpkin fudge every year about this time. And I enjoy eating pumpkin bread and pumpkin cookies and pumpkin roll-ups with cream cheese in there. Mmm. So... As we're in this season, it reminds us that the seasons are going to be changing and the weather's going to be changing. And we're so blessed to have a God that's never changing. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you love us in every season and that you created the seasons for a reason. Uh, that we can see that we have uh, seasons in our lives, that there's some times that our, our lives are nice and sunny and bright, and other times when they're overcast and stormy. But you're with us in both. And so, Father, as we look at your word today, Lord, let us see the message that you had for the Colossians, but also the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul starts out chapter 4, well, not until verse 2. Verse 1, that went with chapter 3. But he's telling us something that should be a no-brainer for believers. Because verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The message says what we're looking for very simply. It says, pray diligently. 
I thought it would be interesting to see how the world defines prayer. And this is what I came up with. The first uh, definition is an address, such as a petition, to God or a God in word or thought. Or like you said a prayer for the success of a voyage or whatever it may be. The second definition is a set order of words used in praying or an earnest request or wish or the act of practice of praying to God or a God. Not too bad, except for the a God, small g. Okay, but they did have God in capital G. Set words used in praying. To me, that's what we find with the Lord's Prayer. Nothing against the Lord's Prayer and what it says. But to a lot of people, I know as a pastor, I would get in trouble for this every place I went. Because some there would be some people that would say, well, you know, it's just not going to church if we don't say the Lord's Prayer. And I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. But that's for another message at another time. So prayer is so much more than a shopping list that we take to the Lord. The last word in verse 2 was thankful. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I think I pray for many when I say, I need to be more thankful. I go to the Lord often for my needs and the needs of others, and I very often forget to go back to the Lord to give him thanks. That when the money is there, or when the disease is over, or the injury is healed, or the relationship is healed, uh, I forget to go back quite often and say, thank you, Lord, for the way you know, you moved and, and what you did in this situation. So I guess it kind of makes me like those nine guys in Luke 17. Jesus had healed 10 lepers, but only one, just 10%, showed enough interest to go back and to thank him. I imagine that they were all thankful. I mean, I cannot imagine what they were going through up to that point. But one did what was expected. In verse 17 and 18 of Luke 17, it tells us this. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Well, verse 16 tells us that the thankful man was a Samaritan. Now, maybe non-believers give thanks to the Lord when we forget. Something we need to think about. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that's one of those verses that you choose when you're in youth group and you're supposed to memorize some scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is pray continually. You know, if that becomes a habit, I believe that we'll 
become more thankful. And Luke tells us in Acts 2.42, says they, meaning the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That shows how important prayer was to the early church. That it was something that they, they did daily, praying together. Verses 3 and 4. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Open a door for our message. Well, this should be our prayer every day. You know, that when we get up in the morning and maybe have our devotional time, we should be praying that, you know, when I go to work today, Lord, you're, you're going to, you know, lead me to that person that needs to hear about you or that person that, that is going through something that needs me to pray for them. Or when I go to school, you know, the same thing. You know, the, the students that, you know, sometimes are harassing me, you know, what they really need, or at least one of them, the, probably the leader of them, uh, is in need of prayer. And so I need to be able to be looking for that. Or when you go to the store, I know different times we've had the opportunity, uh, especially when we were checking out, to either with the associate or customer in front or behind us, and we've been able to pray for them. When you go to the restaurant, you know, different times, you know, we've asked the, the server, you know, is there something we can pray about for you? Or, or just in your neighborhood. Uh, you know, the neighborhood we're in is kind of not what I think of as a neighborhood because people don't associate with each other very much. But... I know where our one son lives. Everybody along that street uh, is doing things together all the time and, and all. And so just some of them that go to church different places, but there's some of them that don't, but they're good people. But I think when they find themselves up against something, that they'll seek out uh, Ben or his wife Keisha or some others in that neighborhood that they know would be there to to pray for them and to be strength for them. So we need to look for the open door. And sometimes it's not really evident, okay, because the person that you need to pray for is that person that, you know, is just constantly giving you a hard time, making fun of you because you're a Christian, whatever it may be. And they're the ones that God's opening the door for, and you're just walking on by because you think, yeah, I don't think this person wants anything to do with my Christianity, when really that's what they're looking for. Well, Paul used the word mystery again, and he says we need to proclaim about Christ, and that takes away the mystery. So what he's talking about is that believers they see what we do as a mystery. You know, the strange things that Christians do all the time. And we need to proclaim it because 
non-believers, to them, Christianity is something that's kind of strange. And when we talk about, you know, being born again, uh, talk about salvation, you know, that's, that's a mystery to them. And baptism, you know, why do you need to get baptized? What, what does that do? And so we need to be ready to explain because it's all a mystery. And we need to pull away the curtain for them so it no longer is. And that's what will draw people to God when it becomes clearer, when we have our testimony that we can give. <clears throat> when, you know, somebody asks, well, why are you happy all the time? Well, your worldly response may be, you know, just everything's going good in my life right now. When our response should be, it's because the Lord really is, is taking care of me. And the Lord is opening doors for me. And the Lord is always there for me. That should be our response. And when we are able to respond in that type of way, uh, the things become clearer for non-believers. And we need to be equipped to do that, ready to do that. Like Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In season and out. What's Paul getting at when he says that? My thought is this. Okay, when we're in season, that's when we are ready. You know, we've just left worship or we've left our small group or whatever it may be, and, you know, we are ready. We are prepared. We're pumped. We're looking for the opportunity. And, you know, just waiting, you know, walking home or walking down the street or whatever it may be. We're saying, okay, is it this person I need to talk to? Or is it this couple over there that really needs to hear about you? And so you're, you're ready, and you're looking for that open door. Out of season... I think that's when we've had a bad day. Things just really haven't gone well today. But we still need to be prepared to share Jesus Christ. When we're dealing with issues of some kind, you know, you're having problems in your uh, marriage or whatever, work, and you're dealing with these issues, we still need to be prepared in that out-of-season time and sometimes when we're, we're just not feeling it, you know, it's just, ah, you know, I, I believe in all, but I just, there's no way I could share with anybody about Jesus Christ, just not doing it today. Well, Paul's in chains, in prison, for doing what he's telling us to do. Now, most of us don't have to deal with that threat. <coughs> Excuse me. And we still don't cheer Jesus for whatever reason. <coughs> Excuse me. Verses 5 and 6, Paul tells us this. To be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace and seasoned with salt. Full of grace, you know, not knowing where the person you're talking to is in their life. You know, the, you don't know what their needs are, what their problems are. And so we need to, you know, have the grace that God has for us, that no matter where they are in life, you know, no matter what it may look like or what kind of person they look like to us, we have to be full of grace towards that person. Seasoned with salt. Well, salt was a main preservative of that time and, of course, used as a seasoning as well. Well, you don't want to turn people off with what you want to say. Okay, you, we've all eaten something that's just had too much salt and too much of seasoning, and that turned us off. And so we need that in moderation in dealing with other people. Because not everyone is open to the message of Jesus Christ. And so we need to know when to back off. Okay, no more salt here today. And so to, to back off and wait for another opportunity in the future. And then Paul says, know how to answer everyone. This is a scary thought to most Christians. Sometimes the best answer you can give is, you know, I'm really not sure about that. So I'm going to have to get back to you. Or I've got to look that up in Scripture and see, and I can, can answer that question for you. Or, you know, I've, I have this man, this woman that's my mentor, and, and so, you know, let me check with them. They're a lot more uh, ready in Scriptures than, than I am. Well, in this next section, Paul's getting ready to wrap up his letter. Verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and how he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you? They will tell you everything that is happening here. In all of Paul's letters, he's wanting to keep the churches informed. How he's doing, what he's going through, uh, and always through the letter, he wants to send it to the, to the brothers to share. Uh, in verse 9, it talks about Onesimus. Well, this is believed to be the one Paul wrote about in the book of Philemon. Uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave, and he came to Paul and became a believer and, and a good helper. And it says that he's one of you. So someone that the Colossians knew, you know, he was a good old boy. And so somebody that they would feel that they could trust. Now, in, in verse 10, Paul starts mentioning others. Okay, so I'm going to run through some names that I'm probably going to really mess up. 
so bear with me. Uh, he says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Okay, Aristarchus. Uh, he's mentioned three times in the book of Acts and was with Paul in those different times when there was a, uh, a riot in Ephesus over Christianity, uh, when they were in Greece and on Paul's uh, trip to Rome. And so, you know, he was somebody that he knew that he could count on. Now, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, he's the author of the Gospel of Mark. And at one time, Paul wouldn't refer to Mark as a fellow worker because Mark had deserted Paul in Pamphylia. And later things got worked out. Now, Paul may have included, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Because he didn't know, you know, if the Colossians knew uh, where Paul and Mark's relationship was. And so, you know, he's telling him, you know, I'm not sure what you've heard, but, you know, Mark and I, we're good now. And so make sure you welcome him. In verse 11, as Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Okay, the message puts verse 11 this way. These are the only ones left from the old crowd who have stuck with me in working for God's kingdom. Don't think they haven't been a big help. Okay, as Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9:37, it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's what Paul is saying here. There's just a few that have stuck with me and are still preaching the word. So it's kind of like we hear about any church and organization of any kind. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I think when it comes to evangelism, that 20% takes a large dip. I think it's more like 95% of the, the work is done by 5% of the people. Okay, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Epiphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Wrestling in prayer. Hmm, kind of a different way of thinking. The message says that he is uh, tireless, and the King James Version says that he is laboring fervently. I like that because it makes me think about a woman in labor. You know, I was there when our four kids were born. I was there when uh, one of our grandsons were born, and they call it labor for a very good reason. And if you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about. Now, the two cities, towns that uh, Paul mentioned, Laodicea, if we've heard of before, and Hierapolis, 
are towns that were about 10, 15 miles from Colossae. And these were in what is now Turkey. And they're churches that were probably started while Paul was in Ephesus. And they may or may not have been started by him. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Okay, Luke is the author of the gospel with his name and also the book of Acts. And he was often with Paul, faithful in the message and being Paul's companion. With him while Paul was in prison in Rome, and that's where this is being written from. Demas, faithful at this time. Okay, Paul writes about him another time in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone on to, to Thessalonica. Okay, so there were different times when some people would pull away, and we see that in our lives now and in our churches. Uh, and we need to remember that the book of Philemon was written two years before Colossians. And at that time, uh, Demas was still being faithful. Verse 15, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea in Nympha in the church in her house. Why is it important to mention Nympha? Well, because Nympha was a woman. And there are a lot of women believers, but, you know, to be running a church in her house was something that, you know, didn't happen very often. Because the early church, they didn't have the fancy church buildings that we have now. And they met in the home of believers, usually one family, and then other families would come and join them and have, have church there. And we see nothing special about that in the U.S. today, but certainly not the case with early believers. You know, early believers, you could kind of compare it to being a, a Christian today in Iran or in China. Uh, they risk their lives to meet together. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Churches today that support missionaries, if they get a letter from the missionaries, uh, they normally would read it to the congregation and let people know how the missionaries were doing and what was happening. And that's what Paul is wanting here, to share with other churches. Apparently, Tychicus was the letter-bearer to the churches at that time. And even though the letters somewhat mirrored each other, it was still good news. You know, this is what Paul said to us, and listen to what Paul is saying to the Colossians as well. Because in verse 17, Paul writes, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. In Philemon, verse 2, Paul refers to Archippus as a fellow soldier. What Paul said to him 
had to be a great word of confidence, you know, to have Paul, you know, think about him and to, to mention him. Verse 18, Paul says, I write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, that doesn't sound important, but it was significant. It was Paul's normal practice to dictate his letters to someone else, uh, sometimes Timothy and possibly Luke. And he says, remember my chains. So he's reminding them of the possible cost of sharing the good news. I remember when I started this series, I said, you know, the book of Colossians is really not as well known as Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. But I got to tell you, since then, I have been seeing quotes from Colossians all over the place. I guess I needed the Lord to open my eyes and my ears and to let me know just how important all of his word is and that I need to be sure that I share it and I need to be sure that I live it. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you'll be with them and strengthen them uh, because Lord, we all need your strength every day. And it's always available to us every day. It's nothing that we have to to search for uh, because you just give it to us freely. And so Father, as we uh, look at your word, let's see how important it is to us today and to make a practice of, of putting it into practice that others will see you in us. And Lord, I, I lift up anyone that uh, doesn't know you, that has never made a commitment to you and doesn't know what all this salvation and born again and all that other stuff is about. But Lord, they're, they're seeking. They're looking for something more and they're only going to find it in you. And so, Father, I just pray that that your message will draw them closer to you and that, Father, they will uh, be sure that they uh, make the commitment that they need to make. And, Lord, let them know that they are loved and forgiven. So, Father, let them pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, you showed us your love by sending your Son that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and then he rose to life again and he's coming back. Father, help me to begin my relationship with you right now. Love me, forgive me, and make me part of who you need to be. In Jesus' name, Amen.